you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows such as Black Mirror and the upcoming Jordan Peele Twilight Zone reboot in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. So today I'll be discussing The Whole Truth. It's the 14th episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on January 20th, 1961. This is also my first review, uh, my first Twilight Zone episode review in a little over a year, so I apologize if I'm rusty. And also, I <laughs> I don't know what's better, uh, taking a hiatus that spans a year and then coming back to review an episode that to be honest, is pretty weak or like, I don't know. I don't know if that's preferable or I I don't know if that's, uh, if that's a good experience or if I would rather like come back and look like an idiot and review like a classic episode that, uh, just makes me wish that I hadn't taken a year off. So I don't know. But anyway, before I get to the actual review, um, couple things up top. One is that if you're listening to this in the future and you haven't had to go through the year-long um, uh, hiatus or anything, uh, you'll notice I am switching up a little bit. I'm not doing the bonus, uh, the bonus reviews in each episode's in each episode of the podcast. Um, at least for the time being, I don't know. It's just it's it just puts too much on on me to do that. Um, so for the foreseeable future, it'll just be, you know, me just reviewing the Twilight Zone and my bonus reviews. Um, yeah, so uh, the next thing is that I just want to give a quick shout out to my friend Brandon Cruz, whose uh, Twilight Zone podcast submitted for your approval uh, just recently also came back from a hiatus. So uh, welcome back. Uh, Brandon and submitted for your approval. Um, you can find him on Twitter at S4YA underscore podcast. And obviously that's a great show. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, him being back, even though I can't really listen to the episodes until I get to that point. And, uh, he's, a, I believe he's in season three right now. So I have some catching up to do. So this week's episode is The Whole Truth, and uh, I'll go through the talent rundown first. I think that's how I used to start it. Um, uh, this episode stars Jack Carson as Harvey Honey, uh, Honeycutt, and he actually died a couple of years after this episode aired, and uh, he died in January 1963. Um, he was he had some notable film roles, and uh, he appeared in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Arsenic and Old Lace in the 1954 version of A Star is Born. 
And this was his first and only episode of The Twilight Zone. He did appear in an episode of Jane Wyman Presents the Fireside Theater in 1955, which uh, the title of that episode was The Director, and that script was written by Serling. And in November of 1955, he actually starred in an, epi- in an episode of Climax that was titled Portrait in Celluloid that was written by Serling and directed by John Frankenheimer. And uh, I don't have the notes readily available, but I'm fairly certain that uh, Frankenheimer won an Emmy for that episode. Um I'm like 99% sure of that. But anyway, uh, a little piece of trivia about Jack Carson is that during the 40s, he would apparently just disappear from Hollywood for weeks at a time. And uh, no one knew what he was doing or where he went um, except for his wife. And uh, and uh, years later, he finally revealed that uh, what he was doing was that he had joined – uh, a circus, the Clyde Beatty circus as a clown and was traveling with them. <laughs> and apparently like no one knew that it was him. It he just, he like no one in the audience ever knew that it was, it was him. And he, uh, was quoted as saying that quote, I, uh, quote, they loved me and my routines. So that's a weird, interesting piece of trivia. Um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Loring Smith, appears in this episode as Honest Luther Grimbley and this is his this is his first of two Twilight Zone episodes the next we'll see of him is in season 4's I Dream of Jeannie and he was also in a 1968 TV movie called Certain Honorable Men that was written by Serling and uh rest of the cast are George Chandler as the car selling old man uh, this was his only episode of The Twilight Zone, and a piece of trivia about him is that uh, after he was in the military during the First World War, uh, he studied at the University of Illinois, and he made money by playing jazz violin in a band. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, rounding out the cast is Art, or R.T. Johnson, um, as Irv. This was his only episode of The Twilight Zone, but he did appear in an episode of Night Gallery in 1971, and he he's actually still alive. I think he's uh, done a lot of voice work. Um, he was uh, a lot of like Tom and Jerry and uh, cartoons like that, and he uh, is quoted as saying that he got his first or he claims that he got his first job in showbiz by just impulsively stepping into an audition line in uh at the at a Broadway theater where he was almost immediately chosen for a role in Gentlemen Prefer Pre- Wow, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Can you guys tell that I haven't done this in a year? <laughs> um <laughs> uh and the reason I pointed out or I picked that particular piece of trivia is that uh, the film version of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes um, that came out in, I want to say the, I don't remember when it was, but um, I just recently watched it for a project that I'm doing on Letterboxd, um, which you can follow me on Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And uh, that's a fun movie. So yeah, 
Uh, writer for this episode was Rod Serling, and this episode was originally written for the uh, what was what was to be the Mr. Beavis TV show. Uh, but I guess when that fell apart, two of the scripts that were written for that were combined and repurposed into this episode. According to the uh, trivia in the Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grimm's Jr., he says, uh, quote, The idea for the script originated from two unused plot synopses, synopses, uh, composed by Serling for the previously proposed Mr. Beavis television series. Okay, so they weren't full scripts. They were just uh, plot synopses. Uh, quote, one proposed plot involved Mr. Be- Mr. Beavis being blessed... Jesus. <laughs> ...being blessed by a guardian angel with the ability to tell the truth for 24 hours. The other plot dealt with Mr. Beavis as a car salesman. So Serling blended the two together to form the whole truth. Um, obviously being a millennial such as myself, I, uh, equate this episode's plot with, uh, I, I, I associate it with Liar Liar, the 1990s Jim Carrey movie. Uh, rounding out the, uh, talent rundown for this episode, director James Sheldon, uh, was the director for this episode. This is his first of six Twilight Zone episodes. The next we'll see of his work is a penny for your thoughts here pretty soon. And this was one of the six, I believe. Was it six? Yeah. This was one of the six, uh, season two Twilight Zone episodes that were shot on videotape. And I could definitely tell, um, when coming back, to the to watching the Twilight Zone and everything for this review, I just I could immediately tell like oh, okay well yeah this was this was on this was on video for better or worse. Um, it only took a couple of days to film, and I mean that makes sense because it's just you know one location. Uh, well, technically I guess two locations since one's in the office, but I mean it's a centralized set. There's not much going on in terms of. Uh, you know, uh, visual effects or anything like that. It's just a kind of a static set with performers acting around it. Of course, I'm going to be spoiling the episode. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out and uh, come back and listen to this episode. Uh, plot description before I go into my review. Plot description comes courtesy of Twilight Zone, unlocking the door to a television classic uh, by Martin Grahams Jr., And I will read the plot description now. Harvey Honeycutt, a car salesman with a reputation for conning his customers into purchasing junkers off his used car lot, finds himself in a dilemma. After purchasing a Model A Ford from an old man, he discovers the antique is haunted. Since the vehicle rolled off the assembly line, every owner has experienced a a peculiar feeling of telling the truth whenever asked. No matter how hard Honeycutt attempts to push a vehicle on a customer, he manages to reveal every fallacy in his four-wheeled products. When he phones his wife to lie about coming home late because he has to take on... When he phones his wife to lie about coming home late because he has to take inventory, he tells her he's playing cards with the boys. When he's when his employee asks for a raise, Honeycutt tells him the truth and loses his employee. Honeycutt finally finds himself cured of the disease when he manages to sell the vehicle to to Nikita Khrushchev, the Soviet premier, who happens to be on tour in the United States. So this episode's interesting just because... Um, 
the concept of the of the podcast is that I'm watching it for the first time, of course. And this was technically my second time watching it. Um, around the time I took my hiatus from the podcast, I wanted to start it back up probably around last summer. Um, I'm recording this in February of 2019, by the way. Um, so back last summer, I wanted to restart the podcast and, and get back on track. And the first thing I was going to do was to review the whole truth. And, uh, one day I was incredibly sick with a, with a head cold, like a very aggressive, like head cold that was just like drained me. Um, so I stayed home from work and I took, um, some like mucinex and, uh, just some cold medicine and I laid down in bed and I had my laptop open and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch the whole truth and make my notes so that when I wake up and feel hopefully refreshed, I can go ahead and record the episode. And, uh, <laughs> I watched it, I guess. Um, I have notes from when I watched it, but it's like, I, like I could not, when I went back and watched this the other night for this recording, I, I had no memory of it except for like a couple of things. Um, like, like my last note of that, of that original, uh, viewing was the last note of that was Nikita Khrushchev. That was a surprise. I'll have to rewatch the app. Um, and that's because like, when I saw that, I was like, Oh, I, it was more of a, Oh, I know that name. Like I didn't know the context of it in the episode or anything. And it was just, yeah, it was like, after that I passed out for like probably five or six hours and slept through most of the day. And, uh, eventually I got better obviously. So, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. So I have a couple of notes where I usually say like what I knew before going into the episode versus what I like my initial thoughts on the episode, what I have is what I knew before and what I remember from when I was sick. So first things first, what I knew before I watched this first, this for the first time was uh, nothing. Um, Something about a used car salesman. That's all I knew. And like the only other connection I can make was that the title was also the title of an episode of Lost, which I may, I want to, I'm going to assume that Lost was paying homage to it. um, Cause that particular episode has nothing to do with, um, well, actually, uh, no, it has nothing. It has no like bearing on this. It's just, uh, characters lying to each other and telling the truth. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a loose connection, but I'm sure that it's lost paying homage to the twilight zone. Um, what I remember from when I watched this episode, when I was sick was that it's involved a used car salesman and a guy maybe haggling for a deal on a car. And that's the, (laughs) that's right. Wow. I was way off. Um, I thought that the customer had some secret connection to Russia. Um, or maybe the salesman did like, I like, that's what I'm saying. Like I had no idea what the Khrushchev connection was going to be. Like, I, I just thought, I thought that it was like, and maybe this is why I was kind of disappointed with the episode overall, because I thought that it was like a long con kind of thing where, uh, Honeycutt is, is telling the, or is trying to sell the car to someone who turns out to be a Russian spy or something. I I don't know. Um, honestly, that's, that's more interesting than, than what we got in my opinion. 
Um, but yeah, so let me go ahead and go into my review of The Whole Truth. Okay, so right from the top, we notice a couple of things. First, this episode takes place in a at a used car dealership or used car lot. Um, so you know evil stuff is going to be happening. <laughs> and also, maybe it's... Well, it, really, it's the format. I, I was going to make... Um, a comment about how like, Oh, maybe since it's an exterior set, that's why it's more, uh, noticeable that it's, that it's a videotaped episode. But even with like the interior ones, like, uh, um, Oh man, why can't I think of the episode that the title of that episode with the robot, uh, daughter, um, something about night. This is how out of the, this is how out of touch I am with this whole thing. um, I'm looking it up now because, man, oh, the lateness of the hour. Um, yeah, so uh, either way, like interior, exterior, the videotaped episodes just don't look good. Um, it's just it's it's just not good. It It's not pristine and it's a shame. Um, yeah, so it's so we get the introduction of Harvey Honeycutt. Uh and he's immediate, like you kind of tell, like the tone of this episode is very much like you can tell how this was originally conceived or this, this, this plot was lifted from, uh, from some plot synopses from the Mr. Beavis show, because it does feel like Mr. Beavis in tone. Like it feels like that type of comedic slant that the, that the show is going for, which is also one thing that I wasn't too crazy about in this episode. Um, maybe it's because it's been a while since I've really watched the twilight zone and I just wanted to see a more, uh, sci-fi heavy Serling, uh, episode, but this seems more just like, uh, no pun intended with the plot, but detour of an episode where it's just, it's not, the twilight zone's normal tone and it's it just doesn't really work for me but anyway so we're introduced to honeycut and we're immediately shown that he's uh i don't know he's 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 kind of a snake um it's established that he's clearly has no um no conscience um Okay. He's pushing the older cars to the couple. And then like later he's pushing the new, the new, uh, the new models to the old man. Like he's very much a kind of an, a con man kind of guy. And the thing that the, the standout, I'm not going to crap on the whole episode, this entire podcast, but I will say that the thing that stands out and that kind of makes this, a more tolerable episode, even, even more tolerable than Mr. Beavis, I would say, um, is Jack Carson. His performance is, is really good. Like he's, he's got that kind of slick, like snake oil salesman kind of persona down, but he performs it in a way that makes his, his comeuppance when he is cursed with the haunted car, uh, his comeuppance where he has to tell the truth, where he's getting liar liared. Um, it makes that less of a, well, less of a told you so kind of thing and more of a fun, a fun ride, like a fun escape into the twilight zone. It's not like a, a horror thing where he is like 
truly haunted by this car. It's all for comedic effect that he is this guy who can't, um, can't, he lies every day, but when he can't lie, his life, it's not like his life goes completely in shambles. It goes somewhat in shambles, but it's all fun and games. And that's one thing that I appreciate is, uh, is Carson's performance because he really sells it well. So the actual concept of the, the car being haunted or possessing the owner of the car to only tell the truth, that's a, that's a good concept for an episode. I, I was kind of on board with that. Um, <laughs> uh, the quote from the old man where he says that the car has been haunted ever since it came off the assembly line immediately made me think of Christine, uh, Stephen King's novel and John Carpenter's uh, adaptation. Check out towerjunkiespod.com for more of that nonsense. Um, and it's a simple, straightforward premise. The car is haunted. I like, there's no, there's no connection as to why the car makes people tell the truth. Like there's no, it doesn't, there's no, um, connection made to that. And there doesn't really need to be, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's almost a little too flimsy. Um, if you think about it too hard. Um, but like I said, the episode has this kind of lighthearted fare or lighthearted feel to it that you just, you kind of just go with the flow and, and it, and it works fine. Um, so the kind of conceit is that the, um, ownership of the car makes the owner unable to lie. And the only way to unhaunt the car is to sell it. Um, and what I like about that, the kind of twilight zone twist of that is that, uh, Honeycutt is a man who lies to sell cars and the fact that he can't lie means that he is not going to be able to sell this car. Um, and I just, I love that as a concept. I think that that's, that's really strong. And if this episode had a more dark and twisted, uh, tone, I feel like maybe that would be, that would be like the ending to, a different type of episode. Like if it was following that tone and say, instead of the old man telling him that the car is haunted, like say he gets like a few wishes or something like some, like some kind of genie wish or whatever. And he, uh, I could see the ending being that, okay, he got what he wanted, but in order to lift some curse that's on him, he has to sell the car, but the, but he can't sell the car cause he can only lie to sell cars. Um, and he can't lie. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles, but I just think that the, that kind of premise is strong enough to have been a surprise ending in a darker episode, but using it as the main plot of this kind of comedic lighthearted episode, uh, works pretty well, uh, to its advantage as best as it can for, for an episode that, by and large, didn't really blow my hair back or anything. And I like the way that Honeycutt just, it's not like, it's not like he's immediately telling the truth or telling the truth and everything. Like when he is talking to Irv, um, he starts talking about how they can sell a junker that's, that's in on the lot. And then suddenly I think that the camera shows the car outside the, the haunted car, or we see Honeycutt look out the window at the car. And that's when he gets that, um, he, it switches over to him telling the truth and like, he's 
telling Irv, oh yeah, just put a sign up that says that it's not reliable and and uh, and we'll we'll it's it, it's not trustworthy and everything. Um, I like that because it's it could have been easy to just make him instantly tell the truth and everything, but I like that kind of juxtaposition that we're still seeing his snake his snake kind of side, like his con artist side, and it's slowly uh it's slowly transitioning into this truth telling compulsion um and really showcasing the kind of power of the car. And then when Honeycutt tells him whoever owns that car has to tell the truth, uh I think he says that to Irv. Um he says it with this casualness that it's like it in another episode, in a darker episode, that would have been like the like showstopper, like <gasps> whoever owns that car has to tell the truth and then cut to commercial. But there's kind of just this casual way that Honeycutt delivers the line that kind of keeps the episode lighthearted and um, kind of keeps it more in the in the realm of like, oh, this is going to be a fun episode rather than uh, the Twilight Zone-y kind of uh, um, thrilling episode, I guess. Um, I, and honestly, this kind of lighthearted approach to the story, it's just, it's not very compelling to me. Um, it's, I, I don't know. It just didn't really click with me. The, the best part of the episode for my taste was actually right after that, where Honeycutt is confessing to Irv that he was never going to give him a raise. And he talks about how, he tells he tells his employees that he's going to get them a raise and he never gives them a raise and everything um it like that whole that whole scene is kind of the the peak of the fun of the conceit that he can that he can't lie um like that was that was that was good however irv punching him like that it, it's a weird kind of thing cuz it's like it's somewhat anticlimactic, but it's it's like the one bit of violence in the episode. Um, but it's like he, like, there's no surprise to it. Like it's very much like, okay, well, uh, I'm gonna. He's basically like Irv is basically saying like, okay, well, I'm gonna punch you, and then he pulls his fist back, and then he and it's like the enough space, enough time goes by before he actually throws the punch that it's like. I mean, it's almost as if he's saying like, now I'm going to extend my, extend my arm and make contact with your face. Like it's that kind of dry anticlimactic action in it. Um, but the kind of nice kind of icing to that is when he puts the sign on Honeycutt saying not guaranteed in poor condition. (laughs) I thought that was kind of nice. Um, and then surprisingly it goes to a new day. Um, a new day on the lot. There's a new customer, Luther Grimbley. Um, he's a politician. And at this point, um, I was, I was intrigued because the whole idea of like a politician potentially becoming, uh, the owner of the car is like, there, there's another episode in here that could have been, that could have been far more interesting. Um, like, I could have seen, uh, like, I would have liked to have seen, like, the politician get it and then him just tell the truth and then have some kind of weird Twilight Zone twist at the end. But it doesn't go that way, although he does call attention to that, saying, like, well, if he can't, if he can't tell the truth, like, or, um, uh, you know, with something like that, I couldn't make a single political speech. Um, and I kind of, I kind of like that. Um, 
and really I like Luther and Honeycutt's interactions together because the <laughs> like uh I think Luther says that he'll pay twenty two fifty with no strings attached or anything. And that causes Honeycutt to confess that the car is haunted and he tells him everything because he can't lie. And, um, (laughs) uh, Luther actually taking that as like, as a joke, um, is just like, it's really, it's really effective comedic writing. Um, I, I really like that Luther is just like, he's so entertained by Honeycutt, because he thinks Honeycutt is joking and he's just like Honeycutt is being completely honest with him about this car and uh he's just laughing along with it and it's making him more interested in in the car. I I just really enjoy that. Um then we get a scene where like Luther is holding a newspaper and then uh they're talking about the car and then I think uh, Honeycutt points to the newspaper and is like, how about selling it to this guy? And he nods to the newspaper. And then the next scene is where we get the kind of surprise ending where he sells the car to Nikita Khrushchev. Um, and then Honeycutt goes into the, goes into the office and calls Washington DC and tries to get, get in touch with JFK. Um, and like, that's, that's a fun lighthearted, um, episode ending. I I don't. So this episode aired in January of 1961. And I know that the Cuban missile crisis was like a year and a half after that. So like, it would have been interesting to see what, and it could very well be interesting to see, um, what kind of episodes and what kind of writing goes into those episodes that happen around that time when, when the, kind of, uh, the cold war really ratchets up and, and gets, uh, horrifying, um, particularly with like the Cuban missile crisis again. And I say that, and I don't know the context of like, like January, 1961, I have no idea what the climate was in terms of, you know, citizens and, um, like where we, where people thought we were in terms of, you know, uh, relations with Russia and everything. Um, but I will be very interested to see what kind of episodes come out um, in the months after the Cuban Missile Crisis take place um, takes place uh, in in the future of the show. Um, yeah. So, and I, I'm very curious what it would have been like to see this episode when it aired, because it because I don't I don't know. It's just it kind of seems like kind of a fun like poking fun at. I don't want to say politics, but poking fun at kind of the climate that they were in at that time. Um, and just the idea that like, okay, Khrushchev has this car. And so because he has this car, he, there's no, like, there's no reason why he, like, he, like there's no way he can possibly tell a lie or anything. And it's just, it's interesting. And then, and then <laughs> in this case, and I won't get political or anything, but it would be very funny and interesting to, uh, like I could see Jordan Peele remaking this episode for his, for his, uh, version of the twilight zone in a couple months. Um, or at this point, just shy of one month. Um, geez, that's going to be so awesome. Um, yeah, but honestly, uh, the new twilight zone on CBS all access, I think it's only going to be like 10 episodes and I, I would not want Jordan Peele to waste one episode 
remaking the whole truth. Um, because honestly, I just don't see it as being a, a quality enough product to remake it. Even though, even if he can remake it into something good, I don't, I wouldn't want to see it because I would just rather just see an original story. Um, yeah. So then the ending, like, uh, Serling's closing narrations, uh, begins with couldn't happen. You say too far fetched, you say, and like my note to that is, yeah, Rod, I'm sorry, but this episode was just a little weak and a little too far fetched. Like, it's kind of a, there's a whiplash effect while watching this, that it's like, you're watching these people on this car lot and suddenly it's like, Oh, suddenly Nikita Khrushchev is there signing the document to get him the car. It's like, I I don't know. It just seems like, like I said, a whiplash effect where it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. So we have to accept that Khrushchev is in, is in the U S he's touring the U S he is, wanting to buy a car. I think that there's some kind of throwaway dialogue where Honeycutt says like, Oh, this is what all Americans drive or something, something like that. Like he, like it's hinted at like how he sells it to him, but it just doesn't really work for me. It's just, it's a little too much. It's too much of a leap, um, in order to conceal the kind of surprise reveal. Um, but I don't know. And it just, it asks, it raises so many questions. Like, how does a man who can only tell the truth manage to sell a cursed clunker of a car to to Nikita Khrushchev on American soil? Um, it just, none of it connected with me that much. Um, so yeah, so I think I'm running out of things to say about this episode. Um, what I'll say in, to round up my actual review is that the episode was fine for its, um, uh, for its, for its con, uh, for, for its comedic stylings. Like, and I, I like Jack Carson's performance a lot. Like that, like I said earlier, that kind of saved it for me, but anything else, I, I'm just not, I just wasn't into this episode that much. Um, yeah. So going on to trivia for the episode, the whole truth, as I said, was one of six twilight zone episodes that were shot on videotape. Um, and in an, in an attempt to cut costs and yeah, I've already talked about that on the podcast and everything. Um, uh, one notable piece of trivia is that JFK was actually sworn in as the 35th president of the United States at the inaugural ceremonies held in Washington, uh, on the afternoon of the day that this episode originally aired. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, Jack Carson's kind of final line was, um, pretty much, pretty much the most topical one that the, like, um, uh, like the most topical uh, final line that they could have since like that afternoon he was sworn in as president. Um, also according to the notes, it's one of the rare times that a current president was actually mentioned during a twilight zone episode. And, uh, yeah. And then also there was, a. An adaptation of this episode in the Twilight Zone radio drama, and in that the character of Khrushchev was actually replaced with an emir from the Middle East. So, yeah. Uh, overall thoughts on this episode? Pretty weak, um, to be honest. They, honestly, they can't all be winners. Um, and it's just, it sucks that this is the episode that I come back to after a year, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the episodes I'm coming, I'm going to be covering in the coming, uh, episodes. But, um, 
I did appreciate the comedy and Jack, Jack Carson's performance. Uh, the meld of Jack Carson and comedy in this episode kind of worked pretty well for me. I just wish that there was a little more to the episode. That's pretty much all I've got. Um, yeah. So, and I don't have any bonus reviews, obviously. So I think that'll do it for this episode of anthology. Um, I'm going to be next time. I'm going to basically be doing, uh, my finishing up my bonus review series of season four of black mirror with my bonus episode reviewing black museum. And then after that, I will be returning to the twilight zone to cover episode 15 of season two, the invaders, uh, which is a one of it is a favorite episode of uh victor gamboa who is a friend of the show and hosts the outer limits podcast and you can find him on twitter at the mighty zero um so yeah so i'm really looking forward to that episode because i know that it's particularly iconic and uh it's it's a big one so i'm looking forward to that and then of course we will be talking about bandersnatch the black mirror interactive movie i'm going to try to get tiny on from the obsessive viewer so hopefully we'll get that worked out and um uh, we'll get that released in a couple of weeks um other places on the po- other podcasting that you can listen to uh on the obsessive viewer we reviewed alita battle angel sort of and uh and uh talked about the jesse smollett stuff and um basically a lot of stuff recently we also reviewed isn't it romantic in a bonus episode and uh yeah and then in tower junkies we're finishing up our review of castle rock season one from hulu so a lot of stuff that you can listen to and yeah so since i don't have a bonus review i'm gonna go ahead and close out the episode so if you like what you've heard and you want to support the show easiest way to do that is by leaving a rating and a quick review on itunes Uh, you can also donate to the podcast through paypal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or you can become a patreon supporter on patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um that'll get you access to a an exclusive RSS feed that gets you uh, exclusive Patreon recorded or Patreon content recorded specifically for Patreon subscribers. All you have to do is just pledge a dollar a month and you'll get access to um, a bunch of nonsense that me and tiny and me and my other co-hosts from obsessive viewer uh, record uh, before we record our full episode. So it's a bunch of nonsense. It's fun. Uh, check it out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And that'll do it for this episode of anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening and let me know what you thought of the whole truth. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully I'll hear from you guys soon. Uh, thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time. And now, here's a clip from a recent episode of Tower Junkies, a podcast exploring the work of Stephen King from obsessiveviewer.com. If you're if you're listening, if you are listening to this podcast, if you've sought out this podcast and are listening to me talk about Stephen King and The Dark Tower and Pet Cemetery, this trailer is not meant for you. Like this trailer is not meant for any of us. We know Stephen King's work. We know Pet Cemetery. We know what happens. This trailer is not for us because we know the story. We we know we're going to see it. This trailer is for people who just know Stephen King by reputation. The people who think, oh, Stephen King, he's a horror writer. I'm going to see this movie because I like this or whatever. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. 
For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.